To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. Welcome, everybody. This is uh, Room Tone, the radio show, and here we are on 100.5 FM Cop Radio. I'm Ruggiero, your host, and today we're about to talk movies, talk movies, and get the love and passion for that cinema out there through these mics. Directly broadcasting from downtown Eastside, Vancouver. Everybody, please raise your hands because today in the booth we have representing film from the NFB that higher level, charismatic filmmaker John Bolton and NFB publicist Katya Debock. Hi, Ruggiero. Thank you for having me and having John. I'm 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 great today. The sun is out and uh, and we're here with you. Yay! You guys are, are bringing me up. I love it. It's good. Well, the, the, with a sun like this in a Vancouver that's so uh, charismatic as well, you know, I just want to head dive right into it and just get to talk about the film right away. Why not do it? Why not make it happen? First things first, John, as a writer and director of this film, just shoot through the mic. What is this film about? That Higher Level is a documentary about the National Youth Orchestra of Canada. So every year, the National Youth Orchestra of Canada uh, holds auditions and about uh, 500 you know, young musicians from across the country audition and about a hundred of them make the cut and uh, they get together for a month-long training institute. Uh, it, it used to be in different uh, cities across Canada, but the training institute, but for the past number of years, it's been in, in Waterloo. Um, and, uh, and then they go on a, on a, about a month long tour. And the year that we made the documentaries, actually a couple years ago, it was in 2017. Uh, it was, uh, uh, Canada 150. And so they did what they called the edges of Canada tour, which was their most ambitious tour ever. And maybe the most ambitious tour that any Canadian orchestra uh, had ever done, uh, at least in Canada. Uh, and they did, they did, they went coast to coast to coast and they went to 12, 12 different cities. So uh, I spent two months with them uh, and, and made this film. And it focused on them uh, coming together during the training institute and then, and then going on tour. Wow, and what a pleasure to just catch that in film and just uh, share it with the world through your, actually, Vancouver premiere happening Sunday at 3 p.m. at the Van City. Isn't that something, huh? Yeah, great segue. Uh, it is... Um it, it, it is it was definitely a dream come true to get to make this film I've always wanted to make a film about an orchestra uh, and it was also um, uh, it was for me we used to, I joked with the crew or the crew and I joked quite a bit that <laughs> we were the only ones who didn't have to audition uh, uh, to get this experience, you know, it was easy. F it was easy for us. Uh, the bar was was pretty low for for us uh, to get to have the same experience that the students did, and to see the whole country. You know, it, so it was a it was a really fun summer 
just for me and 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 my crew uh, and 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 an amazing. I don't want to say vacation. I definitely don't want to say that in front of my NFB publicist. <laughs> we were hard at work, but uh, it was uh, it, it was a it was a unique way to spend the summer and an amazing way to spend the summer. That's for sure. How did that work? And you can actually see that through the clips. Congratulations, because those clips really get so much across, and it really draws in any type of audience. It's not just a film for classical musician. It's a film for everybody about classical music and the passion and the work that there is behind it. Definitely incredibly interesting there. I hope so. I hope uh, that I hope that it passes the test of um, uh, the the people who know the the world. You know, it's a big responsibility making a film about about not just the. Um, it doesn't just feature the students; it features the faculty. So uh, it's about a, it's a world that I know something about it as an amateur musician and just as a lover of classical music but I I really felt a lot of responsibility to really capture that uh, but it's also I hope um, a film for people who might not who might not know as much about the world I mean my hope is that people who see this film the next time they go and see an orchestra or a symphony or whether that's the first time or not that they have a better understanding of you know when you go see a symphony orchestra play every single musician on that stage is bringing a lifetime worth of experience to that uh, performance uh, and that every single musician on that stage has their own journey and has their own story and and they are they're all coming together uh, to, to to really create something that's that's greater than the sum of its its parts and so I hope there's I hope uh, getting a, a peek behind the scenes, you get a new appreciation for that. And that's really where the title comes in. You know, that higher level is uh, definitely a great way to explore and uh, encapsulate also the passion and uh, the, 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 the drive that uh, creates uh, the connection that all the musicians have. And in the, in, the, in the different media sections, we actually get to, in the trailers, we get to see and experience uh, some of the people and instructors sharing with the musicians. You know, just like Van Gogh is on the wall, we have to pick up the brushes and we have to interpret, you know, uh, Strauss' interpretation of death, you know, and that becomes a collective uh, task. And wow, what a what a magic you captured there! I really appreciate it. I know it's super busy times for NFB too, right, Katya? What is the what is what is popping in your world right now? Well, uh, when this screening is over on Sunday night, but I'm really really looking forward to this. Uh, I'll be busy pitching several film festivals in Western Canada. We have, I believe, eight films in Calgary at eight Calgary films? International Film Festival. We have uh, ten works at the the Vancouver International Film Festival coming up in uh, at the end of September. I have a North American premiere. I have several short films made in Vancouver. You will hear all about it, Ruggiero. I will, uh, <laughs> I will uh, email you with pitches and uh, people who want to know more about the NFB films at VIF and SIF, they just have to follow me on Twitter. At Katya under, at NFB underscore Katya and they will hear all about it. Perfect. We'll definitely p- place a link to that in the description of this podcast on roomtonderadioshow.com and now actually it's so funny because you know you, you mentioned all these films and it's incredible you know getting staying behind all these films and all this work. Uh, let me ask you as a publicist what's the number one struggle that you face? Uh, you know it's actually quite sad but one of the number one struggles is 
arts media are dying, print media are, are dying. Um, what I mean by this is it has pros and cons. Newspapers like Post Media or the Star Vancouver, uh, the Toronto Star, a lot of the content they produce comes centrally from Toronto, usually. So if they have an, a film page or an arts page, it's often films that, 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 that start in Toronto, that get a theatrical distribution or, or a premiere in Toronto that will be featured. However, for us in Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg, Whitehorse, that's the cities that I serve, our theatrical releases might be weeks later. And then we don't have that promotion uh, about our films anymore. So that's kind of a struggle that the local, some of the local news is very difficult to push. So that's why I'm so happy with local shows like this, because radio, you know, man, radio is really my lifeblood as a publicist. I love to hear that. And here we are actually talking. It's, it's so beautiful because Cop Radio also has such a fascinating story starting in 1972. And we got shows that are are 40 years long on this station, you know, the history, you know, the, the, the culture that comes through these microphones is just something else, you know, and, and appreciating and respecting it all the time that we're talking here is just necessary, you know, there's so much. And John, going back to you, I'm wondering about your story and your motivation and inspiration behind making this one specific film. Well, it's actually a, a, a long story. I have a long history with the National Youth Orchestra of Canada. So I, uh, the, uh, I'm one of those rare born and raised uh, uh, Vancouverites. Mm. Well, I was born in Victoria, spent a few, a few weeks there, and then ended up in Vancouver. So, um, uh, but have lived in Vancouver for for basically my entire life. So I grew up uh, um, going to. Uh, elementary school, high school, and I was lucky enough that my elementary school had a strings program, Vancouver School Board strings program. So that was my introduction to music, and a friend of mine um, was signed up to play the viola, and I didn't know mm. anything about the viola. I just knew that one of my best friends had signed up to play viola. Now, his father was a musician. He had also played piano. And um, he'd, he'd gotten the advice that if you, if you play viola, sign up and play viola instead of violin, that you might get more opportunities as a violist than as a violinist because ensembles are always short a, a, a violist. So he, he knew what he was doing. I just knew that he was doing it, and I wanted to do it. So I signed up for it, and they give you an instrument, and you, you start right away. And, uh, and I loved it, and I took to it. And so then I was told, well, you know, I think my music teacher told my parents, you know, he should get a private teacher. Uh, and then I started playing in the, the Vancouver Youth Symphony. Um, and and I, I, I think I, I, I had a certain amount of talent, and... I was never much of a practicer. How was the transition? Which transition? The transition from the, the youth orchestra. Um, do you mean transitioning to playing in a youth orchestra? Versus, mm. Well, so the way the Vancouver Youth Symphony Orchestra used to work was the junior orchestra was just a string orchestra, and that was similar to the orchestra that I'd played in in elementary school and in high school. Once you get into the intermediate orchestra, it's a full symphony orchestra with a brass section and a wind section and a percussion section, and so suddenly you're playing 
or you know full orchestral music and then when you get to the senior orchestra it's the same but you can play much much more uh, challenging pieces but to go back a little bit at a certain juncture my teacher thought it would be a good idea for me to audition for the National Youth Orchestra of Canada wow you know something there well it was uh, <laughs> I, I see what she was getting at she was pretty sure I wasn't going to get in but she felt like I had p- the potential to, to be a professional musician and then I might as well start getting these auditions under my belt and that I would learn from the experience and maybe if I didn't get in the first time or the second time or the third time I'd get in the fourth time or the or the fifth time uh, and that's when she she really had a, a career in music um, uh, in mind. Uh, That's your me. history sort of behind making that higher level, the film. And uh, I'm wondering if uh, this film would have been any different if uh, a, mu- a non-musician would have made it. Well, um, definitely. But uh, I, I, I'm going to actually... Um, uh, I know I'm taking a while to tell the story, but I uh, <laughs> let me wrap <laughs> no, it up. Tell it, because, tell it, tell it. Because, um, so I went and auditioned and um, it was like a fiendishly difficult excerpt <laughs> from Strauss and there was no way I was up to playing it and uh, I, I'm sure that it was one of the, the so back then you had to actually audition live in person they would send um, adjudicators ac- to all the cities across Canada and you do your audition live now you can sim- now when you audition for NYO Canada you just upload a video it has to be in one take with no edits you have to play all your excerpts so they can really see what you can do but back then you had to do it in person and I'm sure as soon as my bow touched the string they knew that I wasn't ready by the, f- by the first note I'm absolutely sure so um, I know that there in an archive somewhere there's my audition Tape, and I hope it's never unearthed. So that was my first. That was my first brush with NYO Canada, and it's actually was at that point that I think I realized that I was never going to be a professional musician. That I had a love for music, but that I'd want to make a contribution in other ways. And I actually ended up. Um, now I would say I mostly make films. Uh, about musicians with a real focus on classical musicians. I've been doing that for, for 15 years now. And so about 10 years ago, I'd made a number of short classical music films. And I said, I'd, I, I, I knew I wanted to make a film about an orchestra. So I actually approached uh, NYO Canada about doing a documentary with them. And they were open to the idea. And Barbara Smith at NYO Canada had just started there. And uh, I went and spent like a week with them and shot some footage. I think I pitched it to Bravo. I think I might have pitched it to CBC. But um, in hindsight, I just was not ready to make that film at that time. Just couldn't get it any traction. So the years passed and I, you know, um, found my voice and honed my craft and continued making music documentaries and artist profiles. And then a cup and I also started working with the National Film Board. For the that's first a time. that's a story there. So how was for you and, and and Katya maybe from your point of view as well? You know, connecting with the NFB, the National Film Board, and getting to explore the approach. You know, in regards to this film. Yeah, I'd I'd gotten some support from the NFB for a short film earlier on in my career through the Filmmakers Assistant Program, but actually uh, it was when Shirley Vercruzzi uh, arrived as the new executive producer here at the Pacific Yukon Studio. Um, she was just taking meetings uh, with with filmmakers she just wanted to meet local filmmakers and um 
I had just updated my website, and I went in and met with her and was talking about a few other projects. And she said, well, there's something on your website that interests me. You want to make a, a short film about this artist in Tofino who makes um, art out of marine debris and who is trying to make a tsunami memorial uh, out of um, tsunami debris. She said, that looks like that would be a really good fit for us. And so one thing led to another, and um, that film happened very quickly went into development and then went into production and I made a short film called Debris um, about an artist named about the artist whose name is Pete Clarkson and so that was my first short film with the NFB and then I was asked to do a um, a profile of Michael J. Fox for the Governor General's Performing Arts Award so that was another chance to work with with Shirley and with the Pacific Wow congratulations on this filmography there seems to be really a a strong common thread that sort of connects your passion for for what you live artist profiles definitely and so then um, Shirley and I, Shirley knew of my interest in making a film about an orchestra. We'd actually talked about it. And then in the spring of 2017, I got a call from her and she said, just gauging your interest on this, I don't know if it's going to go anywhere, but um, the, the NYO Canada has approached the National Film Board about the possibility of making a film uh, about this year's edition of the orchestra. And they've asked the producers if we know anyone who would be a fit and I think you would be a fit. And it happened very quickly. Again, um, I think she originally approached me in March, and we went into development in April, and we were in pre-production in May. And then the next thing I knew, I was in Waterloo uh, in June and spent a month, month with them there with my crew and then went on tour with them. And then we cut the film in the fall, and then we finished the film in the spring, and it took about a year. So to do a feature doc in a year, that's 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 crazy That's fast. remarkable there. Wow. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure that the whole team at NFB working really hard and connecting all the dots and, you know, this huge teamwork has, has led to the premiere happening on Sunday. And I'm really looking forward to it. There seems to be really a lot of passion hard work in there and i can see you going like yeah 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 it's like yeah man well, you gotta be proud and happy you know it's nice it's nice that the film is finally screening in vancouver because it was produced uh out of vancouver and um you know the whole the whole teams here my my uh, shirley uh my uh field producer line producer caroline uh my director of photography vince um my editor hart um you know we're all we're all from here and actually the film the film had its world premiere in victoria uh, last year, and then it, or earlier this year, that's right, earlier this year, and then it played at the FIFA in, in Montreal. Well, I was very happy that it, it played at that festival. That's a festival of films about art. And uh, it's actually, thanks to the NFB and NYO Canada, had any number of community or special screenings in almost every city that NYO Canada originally went to. So I don't know if ironic is the right word, but it's, 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 funny that it's that one of the last cities it's going to screen in is Vancouver and I'm happy it's going to screen at the Van City because the presentation there is always excellent I love it I can definitely agree on that uh, big shout out to the Van City Viv and everybody working there so um, uh, I, I extend a big hug to everybody actually listening to us right now and sharing the love for the film community and the film and filmmaking storytelling all of that let's put it all in a bowl and let's enjoy actually a little break it's time to take a little break right now and we have a little surprise for you guys at the end of the ep- of this episode episode with uh, some music straight from the film but for now uh, let's just go to the classics why not go to uh, uh, Valentina Lisitsa's interpretation of Chopin's Minute Vals everybody enjoy (laughs) 
Welcome back, everybody. This is a Room Tone, the radio show, 100.5 FM Cop Radio. I'm Ruggiero, your host, and we're here talking movies. That was Valentina Lizitsa's interpretation of Chopin's Minute Balls. And today it's classical music because we have filmmaker of that higher level in the booth with us, John Bolton, and publicist of NFB. Katya Debok, everybody. Let's uh, head dive back again into the conversation. You know, talking about film and uh, this specific film dedicated to the National Youth Orchestra. John, please tell us some funny stories that you guys had while traveling on the set and going all over Canada. Well, I don't know if it's a funny story, but one of my dreams came true uh, on this film. And that is not only have I always wanted to make a film about an orchestra, but I've always wanted to shoot an orchestra with a proper camera crane. And <laughs> thanks to the NFB, they made it happen. I convinced them that it was really important uh, to shoot the orchestra properly. And actually, the orchestra was scheduled to have a day off in sunny Vancouver, and they all agreed to come to the Chan Center in the middle of a beautiful day like today and, uh, and spend a few hours with me and my camera crane. And so I will always be thankful for them. And be for dressed that. up and everything. And they were all dressed up. That's right. It was supposed to be their day off and they came in all, came in all dressed up. So that that was that was definitely that was definitely a highlight. Hey, know? that's dedication, man. That really yeah. speaks to the value that you're providing with this film to the community of musicians and how exciting it is for them also to be able to par be part of this opportunity, right? They were they were great. And uh, you reminded me also, you know, that the travel across the country, it was everything. It was planes, trains and automobiles and and everything uh, in between. And uh, in fact, to go to Whitehorse and I'm trying to remember they were definitely the largest orchestra to ever perform in Whitehorse because when you think about it getting a symphony orchestra around is a uh, is a massive uh under undertaking um all of especially with all of the bigger instruments the double basses the harps uh all the percussion instruments and so the most cost effective way for them to get to Whitehorse was to charter a private plane Way. and so when we flew to Whitehorse I think it must have been from Edmonton I'm trying to remember the exact itinerary we all got on the and we, again we were the crew was with the orchestra we got on the bus and we rolled straight through straight past security at the airport pulled right up on the tarmac right in front of our own plane we all got on board the plane we isn't had, that something it, oh it was my wild. goodness it was, wow. it was real it was real rock star stuff um, do we get any of that in the film there's 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 a little <laughs> bit in the film that was a challenge you know we had a hundred hours of footage that we shot over two months and originally it was going to be It was just going to be an hour-long film, actually, and uh, we had to, uh, uh, we somehow got it down to an hour, and then both the NFB and the NYO and then came back and said, we'd, we'd like a longer film, so they came up with, with a little bit more money that we could make a, a longer film so we could fit in a few more stories and a few more uh, tour stops, so. Mm -hmm. yeah. Getting that those arcs nice and developed, and that's, that's where right. the structure of the film really comes together, huh? That's right. The, the structure... I, I have to give a shout out uh, to my editor, uh, uh, Hart. Hart uh, Snyder. Hart Snyder, who's a, a very accomplished uh, animator and filmmaker in his own uh, right, has, has made, um, mm -hmm. just made a film for the NFB called Shop Class, which I saw. Katya, did I see that on the NFB app? Recently, is it now that's viewable very, online? That's very possible, yeah. It's, it's a very funny. Uh 
comedy. And I've seen Katya, the NFB, really expanding in so many different directions, you know, with uh, some aspects of VR, animation, you know, it's really going all over the place and yet still going strong on uh, classical documentary. And uh, we just had one, uh, you know, uh, uh, really, really touched me uh, called Because We're Girls. And uh, that was uh, in an incredibly strong, powerful documentary. And I'm happy to see that the NFB is always active. It's always dynamic and it's always getting the word out there. And that's where Katya comes in and makes it happen. And, you know, <laughs> John, I got to say, I got to say, John, uh, watching those clips, something that came to my mind is how uh, you managed to connect with the musicians, you know, uh, during the different interviews. And so I'm wondering, how did you lead those interviews? What, were you, what was your process in asking the questions and coming up with those questions? Right. Um, this actually ties back to what I was uh, getting at with the structure of the film. So you've got a uh, hundred potential characters, who do you focus on? So we actually ended up uh, focusing on 14 students, which represented all of the different sections of the orchestra. Now that's a lot of characters uh, for um, uh, one documentary. And uh, so we decided instead of trying to follow 14 stories that we would kind of meet them all one after another and moreover we would focus on one piece of music in particular they learned like 10 or 12 pieces but we focused on on Richard Strauss's Death and Transfiguration which you mentioned uh, earlier in the show and we decided to uh, meet the characters in the order that their instrument is featured in the piece so the piece starts with um, a sec section solos for second violin and viola so let's meet the violist then there's the first of many flute solos so let's meet the flute player then there's a fantastic figure for uh, double bass and cello so let's meet those characters what a beautiful way and idea to introduce characters and really lead people into the I guess at the end of the film we get to experience the full piece and that becomes uh, the most important powerful moment I believe it. that was the idea and that's what Hart and I figured out as we went that if you could get to know the characters and the piece at the same time that the climax of the film which is a performance of this piece you would really see how not only all these individuals came together but how these parts came together I high five in the booth I love it just, Give me that. High just five for in those the booth. of you listening, uh, when Ruggiero says high five, he means it. That was a real <laughs> high five above the microphones. So to go back to the interviews, then I actually um, had really wide-ranging conversations with all of the students, like for a couple of hours. It's funny. I'm producing a documentary uh, right now for another filmmaker, and uh, she just sent me her interview questions ahead of our shoot next week, and I was like, "No, you've got to." cut them down they've got to be tighter they've got to be more focused well it's much easier to give that advice than take that advice mm. and so right. but so you end up with these long interviews and and what we also realized is that each character could speak to a different aspect of of music making some of them are you know one of them even though they all were able to speak to almost every topic it was there's there's enough um that they all have on their minds that so one of them you know they all talked about performance anxiety but but one of them in particular had had a really had, had something really to to say about that so that was Ujwal, the the trumpeter so that's what we talked about um with and is the, there one specific uh, student or or musician that you connected with throughout the process wow I, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say I, I love them all. Um, certainly, I 
there were a few so most of the students in the film are are very focused I should, this is also a good point to say that when you say youth orchestra you know maybe some people who are listening are assuming that they're little kids and, and, and they're not you know the NYO Canada is for age 16 to 28 the average age that year was around 21 or or, or, or 20 so um, your your typical NYO student, even though there's younger ones and older ones, is sort of, and, and this is true of most of the students we focused on, is sort of finishing their undergrad degree and looking ahead to to doing their masters. So they're they're right on the the precipice of a professional career. Some of them already had gotten their first job. Some of them were were just starting to audition for their first jobs so they're not that young but most of them are if you've gotten to the nyo canada chances are you've you've already made one of those cuts i think the stats are one third of all orchestral musicians in canada are nyo canada alumni so it's it's a really important step to like prepare you for for getting into an orchestra so i have to say i related more to the students who who weren't as sure uh, about about um, their their career, or who maybe weren't as close to to realizing their dreams as they uh, thought they were? Um, we love to struggle and 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 you know and side with the people who who might need that that push the right and, and that uh, that uh, it, that flow. You know, it's true. So for every you know. Um, it's kind of like sports, you know. Some of them are like high draft picks with all the skill and all the all the drive, and are and are just on the verge of a of a career. And you can just tell they're just headed they're headed straight for the show. And this is really something that comes out in the film, you know, getting that that competition through, you know, and and how everybody also handles that competition. And I'm wondering if you specifically also uh, going through that process have come across examples of that competition coming to life in front of the lens. It's it's a paradox because. And and one of the students in particular speaks to it that on the one hand, it's a community, and orchestral music making is all about cooperation, and so they're all they're all coming together, uh, and there's a lot of trust that comes with that, and uh, it's a beautiful thing, but there is this awareness that you're currently playing in an orchestra with people who you're going to be literally competing with for jobs and i have to say um these are these are these are really mature kids with real perspective um the one of the one of my characters was a harp player and um uh, a harp position was opening up at a at an orchestra in in canada and you know that doesn't happen very often you know unlike a violin section you know or even a cello section or even some of the wind sections where there's a little more turnover if you're the principal harp at a symphony you've got that gig for a long time you've got that <laughs> gig for a long time same with the timpani you know the vso's timpanist retired about 5 or 10 years ago don adams and he had been with the he'd been the vso's timpanist for 50 years so that's how long People wow. have been wow. waiting for that years. gig, and now Aaron, Aaron, Aaron has that gig, and I'm sure he'll hold on to it for as long as he can. But uh, to go back to the harp players, um, you know, she said all three of us who are in NYO Canada right now are going to audition for that job, and we all want that job. But if I don't get it, I want a friend and colleague to get it. So it is, it is competitive, but there's also a sense of 
community, community. and support. And, and that's, I relate to that as a local filmmaker. You know, there's, there's many more of us, even just in Vancouver, to say nothing of BC or Canada, than there are dollars available for us to make our films. So in a very real way, we're all pitching the same funders and approaching the same broadcasters and, and, and submitting to, to the same arts councils and all the funding we're all applying for. But it's not competitive. We all support each other because the community is bigger than any one of us. And a success for the community is a success for all to the point where often we'll be helping each other with each other's applications. And that's know. the power of community, right? You yeah. look at the Vancouver film community and everybody coming together at the different events. You know, the eyes are, are pretty much the same, you know? And uh, looking at that trust and that faith that, uh, you know, good things are coming out of Vancouver and there are all the time. Yeah. Events, films, ideas, concepts. And I'm so excited to see how this is going to change in the next five, ten years. Looking at Adelaide, Vancouver, Toronto. Katya, as a publicist, from your point of view, what do you see happening in Vancouver in five to 10 years in comparison to LA and Toronto? Oh my God, I, don't, I, I haven't been to LA in, in a long time, <laughs> so that's difficult to answer. You know, I really enjoy, just like John says, I really enjoy our community as well. And you know, my job as an NFB publicist is to promote documentary, animation and interactive works. But my background is in drama, in, 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 drama, in scripted drama, in feature films. And I am so excited about all of that stuff which is going on here, whether it's the BC independent uh, film industry, which, which, which is, is good but has so much more potential, or whether it's good stuff that comes from Hollywood North. I'm, uh, I'm so excited to see how crew and cast are supporting filmmakers here, whether it's through Crazy Aids or through the Directors Guilds of Canada showcases and things they are doing, like they're, like they're, they're, they're organizing this weekend. And actually, I'm very curious about that DGC showcase because uh, mm -hmm. it's the first time that actually comes through my ear. I'm sure that there's been a lot of that before, and I'm curious to hear about the dynamics and the process of it. How did you guys hear about it, and what are the, 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 what's the process? Well... The So I've been a member of the DGC for a few years, and there's a lot of really exciting initiatives right now. And uh, this weekend is, uh, is um, uh, sort of a spotlight on, on local uh, filmmakers. And so um, there's going to be a number of screenings by a number of uh, local filmmakers uh, over the course of the weekend at the Van City. There's an event at the Playhouse. There's, there's creator talks. There's... Uh, special events and it's just um, I Vancouver the Vancouver I'm not going to say that the Vancouver film scene is unique but but people need to understand that there's I like to think that there's like different planets in the solar system of <laughs> film in Vancouver so well said well said you know there's the service industry that Katja was talking to which is what most people think of when they think of um, uh, the 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 Hollywood North and you know my father is a, is a production designer and uh, he has been working in Vancouver since the 60s he worked oh, at the wow. CBC and then he worked on Beachcombers which was the first series shot would on you location be interested in, in actually uh, would you be interested in getting in touch into, with that world and uh, you know uh, becoming part of that so, well, community? I, so this is the symbiotic uh, relationship so there's the service industry after my dad worked at the CBC he then worked mostly 
mostly on American features and 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 TV series. You know, basically from 1980 uh, onward. Um, and then there's the you know Canadian. Uh, or what we call the domestic uh, industry with Canadian broadcasters, Canadian funders, the National Film Board. And then there's the another planet is the totally independent uh, scene uh, where people are, you know, making making films, you know, basically on their own, with their own time and money, totally independently. But you're, you see a lot of... Um, uh, it's all interconnected. So, for example, a uh, recent project of mine, uh, I was. It's a documentary about an opera that I shot at Quailsgate Winery up in um, uh, up in uh, West Kelowna in West Bank. Um, so. That film was entirely funded with with private foundation money and arts council funding. It's about as uh, non-commercial a project as I could ever have uh, <laughs> uh, come up with. This sort of musical documentary, but the the crew and the lights and the cameras and the lenses and all of the rest of the gear that we were able to pull together, and especially the people we were able to pull together. Are working on all kinds of uh, projects, and uh, you know, even the crane that we used uh, to shoot the orchestra at the Chan Center. You know, that's coming off big series and 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 big features. Um, to say nothing of the post-production facilities that are that are available here. So, it's a great place to be an independent filmmaker because you have access. To, and and I haven't even really talked about the cast. That I'm sure that there is well. uh, there is definitely a lot that that goes into it, and that's the power of of YVR. That's the power of this community and this connection. It's what it's bringing so many people in Vancouver at the moment. So looking at uh, also your trajectory as a filmmaker, I'm really curious to hear if filmmaking for you, starting as a musician, it's been more of a a quick uh, transition or more of a longer fade. Well, uh, I, I mean, my, my mission to become a professional classical musician was basically aborted, you know, by <laughs> late elementary school, early high school. I think, you know, looking back, my, my dad was my biggest influence uh, because for as long as I can remember, I knew a couple things about my dad. Uh, he was self-employed. Uh, and he loved his job, and it seemed like fun. And all of those things, you know, being self-employed seemed like it was stressful, uh, but it was worth it because it was rewarding. And he he loved what he did. And when I would go and visit him on set, uh, or as I got more interested in filmmaking, I realized you don't ever have to grow up. You know, you're literally filmmaking is about literal. Literally, is about making dreams come true. Someone has a dream, and then they have to figure out how do I make it come true. And it's just about getting all the everything together to make it happen. So People that, who know me, they know how powerful the concept of the dream is, and it happens in everybody's life. It's not only in the cheesy movies. That's actually probably film is the you know life is the cheesiest film of all at the end of the day with how <laughs> things right. happen and they come together. What's, What's the the biggest dream for you? The biggest uh, moment of revelation in your whole life? Oh, uh, I don't know that there's just one. I actually feel like I'm in. I'm in. In many ways, I'm in the middle of living my dream right now. Um, I felt like I've. I've at this point in my career, I feel like I have really uh, found my voice and and honed my craft and figured out 
the kinds of films that I want to make and what I want to commit to. And I'm lucky enough that there's enough people and places out there that I can I can take my ideas and, and try to make them happen. So I do feel like every day I get up and I say, okay, what do I have to do today to promote the work I've already done? This is a good example, promoting this film right now. What do I have to do on the projects I'm developing right now? What do I have to do on the projects I'm actually in the middle of producing right now? What do I do have, have to do on the projects I'm finishing right now? And what are the projects that I want to be doing, you know, not just next month or next year, but a few years from now? And, and I've been making it up as I go along for a long time now, but I do feel like I have a, a vision for the kinds of films that I want to be making in the next few years. Nice, and I can see that there is a lot of uh, momentum for that, and I have a few questions for you ready to go, but I see Katya also uh, has a lot uh, a lot to say. There is, a, there is so nice. I like to see Katya with so much passion and getting it always out there. What's going on? Well, I just wanted to say, I want people to know that the first time I noticed John Bolton as an artist was because of his film, which he hasn't mentioned yet, Aim for the Roses. This is a mind-blowing documentary. It's an unbelievably film. It also deals with musicians and with a daredevil. And when I saw that film on the big screen a few years ago at the DOXA Documentary Film Festival, I wanted, I knew I wanted to work with John Bolton. Like, if I could choose one documentary filmmaker in Vancouver, I knew it has to be John Bolton. This film, I don't know if you've watched it, Ruggiero, I don't know, John, where you can watch it. People try to watch Aim for the Roses and, of course, come to that higher level, but try to see Aim for the Roses somewhere you have never seen anything like it. It's fantastic. Wow. And, and after that, you know, I mean, I got to ask you, tell us a bit more about <laughs> well, catch it. Aim that's, for the Roses, that's, man. That's right. And I'm going to have to show uh, I'm going to have to challenge you with that. You're going to have to tell us a bit more about that in, uh, in, uh, in a minute or less in because we got to take less. a break. We got to take a break, man. Well, catch a th that's very those are very kind words. Um, Aim for the Roses is a musical docudrama, uh, and it's about the making of, and also brings to life through dramatic recreations and musical numbers, a avant-garde concept album for solo double bass by a local composer named Mark Haney about a Canadian daredevil who tried to jump the St. Lawrence River in a rocket-powered Lincoln Continental in the 1970s. So it's about um, the, the artist as daredevil and daredevil as artist. And it's, um, looking back, it was definitely the culmination of all the different types of filmmaking that I'd been doing up until that point. It was an adaptation, uh, it was a documentary, it was an artist profile, uh, it was a musical, and the The challenge was to try to bring them all together in a unique uh, way. And the film is available on iTunes Canada. Uh, it's also available on Vimeo On Demand outside of Canada. Uh, and you can go to aimfortheroses.com and read all about that, that film. Wow, we have quite a lot here. I'm going to put that, uh, that link in the description of this podcast as well. There seems to be a lot of momentum around it. And hear me on that, hearing Katya talk about that like that. Holy moly, she knew how to pitch it for you, man. That was amazing. I love it. Well, it's time for us to take a little break before we wrap this whole episode up uh, later on and actually the way we're going to take a break is listening to this wonderful of course this is majestic this is coming from another planet this is Yo-Yo Ma uh, interpreting Bach's cello suite number one everybody take a moment and just enjoy this beauty catch you later mm -hmm. 
Majestic. That was magic. Played by Yo-Yo Ma, playing the Bax Cello Suite Number One. What an incredible piece! Every time you listen to it, it's just some goosebumps here and there. And uh, I was so happy to hear from Katya that there is a lot of history behind this track when it comes down to filmmaking and filmmakers. Isn't that right? Yes, when I used to be a producer back in the day, decades ago <laughs> in Germany, uh, some of my filmmakers used this piece as the opening sequence of their films. And when you just played it, Ruggiero, I had the uh, the roofs, the, the, the skyscape over, over uh, Dortmund in my head because I remember these opening sequences with that with that music wonderful wonderful and thank you for sharing that because uh, katya also has a history as a producer wow katya full <laughs> of surprises there not bad at all not bad at all and we're actually approaching the one minute pitch and we got to make it happen so one minute to pitch anything at all and we're going to start with john john are you ready we're going to hit that clock and you're going to pitch for one minute your dream project well i'm very ha oh there's you ready you want to make it happen i'm i'm ready oh, i'm, so I'm hitting that clock right now music? let's go let's clock? go let's go let's go Oh, there's actually a clock. Okay, I've already wasted a few seconds. <laughs> this is typical. I'm actually very happy that uh, I'm, I'm getting a shot right now at making my dream project, uh, which is an adaptation of Timothy Taylor's novel, Stanley Park, which many people will recognize the name of and which many people have read. It's, I think, the greatest novel ever written about Vancouver. And it was published uh, almost 20 years ago. Uh, and Timothy Taylor was very ahead of his time in that it was about locavorism and the local restaurant scene and the local foodie scene and it's also very much about uh, homelessness uh, in Vancouver and it brings together uh, these two stories uh, it uh, brings those themes together in the story of a, of a, of a idealistic struggling young restaurateur who's very much an artist in his own way uh, whose father is currently living amongst the homeless in uh, Stanley Park and so I have watched and waited was that a minute? That's a minute right there, man. But please, follow ahead. Please, well, please, please. All, Not for too long, though. All, we got rules here. All, too. <laughs> all, all I'm, I'm going to say is that... Um uh, after after many years of, of lying in wait, uh, the rights to the novel 
finally came up and I was able to get the rights and I'm currently working with a friend and colleague uh, Tristan Morton wonderful writer she's just delivered her first draft script and uh, we're, we're hoping to shoot that film next fall and wow. nothing would make me happier than uh, to, to, to adapt this novel and bring this story to the screen finally after all these years wow man let me keep our eyes locked on that ears open and put a signature on that I can see that happen 100% especially because you can see that happen and now it's time for Katya Katya one minute pitch are you ready I'm going to hit that clock again hit the clock 3, 2, 1 let's go well if you're listening to this uh, dear uh, listeners of uh, Vancouver Co-op Radio Come to VIF, come to the Vancouver International Film Festival and witness the North American premiere of a beautiful documentary shot on Gill Island, which is in northern BC near Hartley Bay. It's an artistic documentary, an immersive documentary about whale researchers who research humpback whales, orcas and so on together with indigenous people in that beautiful part of the world. It's placed with sound. It's not didactic at all. It's not like that. It's poetic and and just beautiful thank you so much katya i really appreciate that uh plug and it seems to be really a really fascinating movie right there and uh you know i'm really curious to see how uh, documentary filmmaking is going to evolve with time you know there seems to be more and more poetry coming together with documentaries and it really seems to be the sweet spot where truth can marry poetry and uh, that uh, speaks to us as documentary filmmakers to what we can do and how we can uh, change this industry. And I want to ask you, John, before we wrap this whole episode up, where do you see yourself in 10 years from now? In 10 years? 10 years from now, man. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Uh, I hope that I'm still doing what I'm doing, making films that only I can make and um, uh, continuing to try and blur the lines between drama and, and documentary uh, in the way that you were just uh, alluding to. I don't think there's ever, it, there's ever been a more exciting time to be a documentary filmmaker, at least as far as the, the formal uh, possibilities. Um, I just hope to, be, to continue to be living and working in Vancouver and making films uh, about this part of the world. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. And... Katya, let me ask and drop one question in the room. Any advice, suggestions, words for filmmakers out there? You know what? Um, work with a publicist if you can, if you want to do promotion. Don't be shy to go on radio like, like John. Just be eloquent like John. Be hardworking. Uh, do some social media about your film. And if somebody has the kindness to write a review about your film or to do an interview with it endorse those people a lot of these uh, journalists are doing this for free or for very 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 low salaries endorse these people when they take time out of their busy days to watch your film and to uh, do some media coverage about you this is amazing i love the sound of that i, true, I could pick a few things from, yeah. advice <laughs> i love that yeah definitely there is a signature of a publicist on that john your piece of advice for filmmakers for young filmmakers, I would say there's no rush. Uh, take your time. Uh, it it f figure out what you can do that that no one else can do, um, and that means getting to know yourself uh, and and find your voice and hone your craft, and that will. Um, that process will never end. The advice I I give myself also too, just to to. Um, you know, to try and keep things in perspective is you've got to constantly check your ego. 
I think you've got to believe in yourself, but also get over yourself and repeat <laughs> and, mm. and stay humble. And uh, also, don't just limit yourself to any type of filmmaking. If you get a chance to go back and forth between drama and documentary, you'll find that they're not really that uh, different. Documentary especially... Uh, keeps you humble, you know. It's easy for me to come out and promote this film. You know, it is my film, but it's about real people and their real lives. And I felt a sense of responsibility there, and so it's all about them and and honoring them. And that that that'll keep you humble as as a filmmaker. Thank you so much for that. And you know, filmmaking uh, blurs the line between reality and fiction, anyway. So why not do that? You know, and uh, uh, push it to the to the core, to the substance of what we do now. Wrapping up this episode, we have an excerpt actually from uh, your film, That Higher Level, playing uh, this Sunday at 3 p.m. at the Van City Theatre. Viv, wonderful, wonderful. Looking forward to it. This is Death and Transfiguration Moderato. Everybody, please enjoy life, and life will enjoy you. I'll catch you next time, 11 a.m. on Thursday. This was Room Tone, the radio show on 100.5 FM Cop Radio. I'm Rogerio, your host. Enjoy the week. Ciao, ciao.